Hello and welcome to the DPP podcast. I'm Edward Qualtro, Editorial Director here at the DPP, and for this first episode of 2024, I'm pleased to introduce to you the epic tale of one man's journey to Las Vegas to uncover mind-blowing AI innovations and the latest consumer technology trends. In January 2024, DPP CEO Mark Harrison made his annual trip to the Consumer Electronics Show to find out which tech trends really matter to the media industry. It's an epic Don Quixote-like quest, although Mark manages it completely solo without a squire or bagman. And along the way, though, he does meet some fellow travellers, and we will hear from BBC R&D Head of Technology Forecasting, Laura Ellis, HPA President Seth Hallen, fellow HPA board member Craig German, a C-suite media and entertainment advisor who has been head of worldwide post-production operations at Amazon Studios, and Vubiquity COO Justin Bodine. It is presented as a kind of audio diary with a little bit of additional commentary from myself. So what technology was actually unveiled that will shape our future lives? Surely it was all about AI. And what does all of this mean for media organisations? It's Tuesday, the 9th of January. It's 8.30 in the morning, and I've just arrived at the Las Vegas Convention Center for day one of the Consumer Electronics Show, CES. Although the show won't open for another 90 minutes or so, one of the things I've learned after 15 consecutive years of coming to the show is that you have to plan ahead and get here early Uh, You won't even get on any of the public transport, you won't get a cab or anything uh, once it gets anywhere near opening time because this is the biggest trade show in the world. And although CES is not yet back to its pre-pandemic heights when incredibly there were 175,000 attendees, um, you know, this year is probably going to be about 125 it's still a huge event. Imagine something which is something like two and a half times the size of NAB, for those of you familiar with coming to Vegas for that show. It just makes this city extremely hard to navigate uh, when it comes to CES. It's now just 10 minutes until the doors open on CES 2024 and the crowds are gathering. Here's a really weird thing about this show. Although it takes place in not just one, but actually two huge convention centers, each with several halls, as well as across a number of hotels and outdoor spaces, there's still a kind of tradition that's emerged of everyone on day one wanting to enter the show at 10 o'clock in the same place, which is at Central Hall uh, through the LG stand. LG have been here as long as anyone can remember. They always put on a really big show uh, on their booth. And so people gather kind of like crowds are waiting for midnight on New Year's Eve for the moment when 10 o'clock arrives and they can all stampede in to see something that will look pretty much like it looked last year. In fairness to LG, it certainly isn't the same as last year. 
they've come up with a couple of really big statements. Uh, first of all, a transparent TV that I have to confess, it's kind of beautiful and is further progress towards solving that problem of the sheer ugliness of the domestic TV set. But more dramatic than that, they've come up with a concept car, much as Sony did a couple of years ago. But it's really very problematic when you get these global tech companies suddenly deciding that everything they do can be located in a new space. It all happened with the smart home a few years back. They just threw everything at it, um, irrespective of whether or not it actually solved any real world problems. Now they're doing it with mobility. So the car isn't really a car. It's just a mobile object in which they can locate everything else they do. So um, the LG Able, as it's called, is in fact just a showcase for LG screens and displays for, for gaming, for shopping technology, for, believe it or not, fridges, gaming, uh, AR, health tech. You know, it's going to display your vital signs as you're driving along. I mean, everything that they do has been crammed into this idea of what a car of the future might be. At some point, you really do feel like these companies need to address actual real-world problems. Well, I'm now uh, about five hours into my first day at CES 2024. Actually, something that I've learned over the years is that you always get a, a sense of exhaustion after five hours on your first day. It's as if that's as much as the brain can absorb uh, in one go. Um, and I'm left slightly reeling from what I've been seeing um, because of the extraordinary sort of volume and diversity of tech this year. Not so much new stuff, just a lot of stuff and a lot of different kinds of stuff. So contrary to what I and many people expected, it's not been the case that uh, these big companies like uh, Hisense and Samsung and TCL and Sony and LG and so forth have all been putting all their eggs into a particular baskets such as AI or environmental sustainability but, but rather they've been intent on showing us the range of what they do and I think so far if I would say there's an overriding theme it's convergence it's because their technology uh, is applicable across so many different sectors they're actually struggling to pick out uh, a single area for focus. That was Mark's tough first day at CES 2024. He's a seasoned traveller at least and isn't troubled by jet lag so I'm sure he had a great night's sleep. It's three in the morning now and I've woken up with my brain whirring, uh, trying to make sense of that very strange first day of CES. I've often said that CES is much like trying to crack a code, um, particularly after the first day or two. You're trying to make sense of all this stuff and what it really means. And, and so, in some ways, I'm quite puzzled by what I saw yesterday, but I think maybe I am starting to make sense of it. 
I think it's all about economics. Uh, last year, there was this quite surprising and and rather becoming pivot that these big players did towards uh, showing an awareness of the state of the economy and really putting emphasis upon how consumers could control costs by being able to control um, easier to use devices that really showed what benefits they were delivering, not least in saving money, but also in helping to save the planet. And it's as if those companies that were foregrounding that are now like all others in a place where they just need to start making some money themselves. So we've kind of gone from it being all about you to it being all about ARPU, revenue per user. And that's why they're kind of showing everything they've got because really this again is a sales show. I can guarantee you, dear listener, that is the only 3AM Mark Harrison monologue that you will hear on this podcast. And fortunately for Mark's sanity and indeed this podcast, he did find some acquaintances to speak to. And as such, we will hear from the BBC's Laura Ellis and Seth Hallen and Craig German from the Hollywood Professional Association. And while Mark found some interesting people, he still couldn't really find any Gen AI and neither could our other podcast guests. But he did find a flying car, however, and so maybe the automotive industry would be able to help him out on his quest. Well, I've just come across Laura Ellis from the BBC. Hi, Laura. Hello. Uh, You've been to this show many times. I have. Once uh, not in person and then three times in person. So I'm not quite the veteran you are, but getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've often talked when we've been here about, uh, about what we're seeing. So early impressions? So it's massively busy again, and it just feels like it's really back in the zone in terms of having people here and lots of frenetic activity. In terms of themes, it's always hard to to do in the first couple of days, and and they kind of come to you as you go around, but I'm sensing a lot of anxiety and people's need to have comfort and to relax. So if you look at the kind of like the things we always see, the big massage chairs and the, the soothing things and the sleep things, they're much bigger this year, they're all over the place. And then when it comes to the sort of tech that you and I look at every year in terms of the, you know, the developments in the TV market, screens are still getting more beautiful, bigger, more luscious. And where do we go with that? You know, where, where do we go? Because as somebody memorably said to us a couple of years ago, we have the same eyes as Jesus. You know, our eyes are not getting an upgrade anytime soon. So, so do we just see people making screens more sustainable, maybe cheaper? That would be lovely. But at this point, they're still getting bigger and brighter and more beautiful. So those yeah, are the two I, things so far. I wonder actually with displays, if, as, even really about TVs anymore. This is actually about developing capabilities for out of home because it often seems like it's a much more relevant environment for the kinds of screens they're creating, like, like transparent screens, for instance. I don't get the transparent screens thing. I, I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, my, my telly is always going to be on a wall because I don't have a gigantic living room. So I don't really mind it being opaque. So I, I, I feel, it feels a bit gimmicky, but I do think you're right. I think there's a really interesting crossover. There's a, a TV on a wall over there, which is, has got rain falling all over it. It's, a, it's an outdoor TV, which I've not come across before. So I think they're trying to do a lot of things around 
how we live you know do you want to watch tv outdoors do you want to take your screens outdoors um uh, we were looking at samsung at people bouncing balls off screens and showing how unbelievably strong these foldable devices were now and then also another weird one barbecuing inside which we've always thought was a bad idea but i've seen quite a lot of that so um it's a kind of mixture of bringing the inside in and the and the out the outside in and the inside out um just some sort of playing around with with the lifestyle things which i think is quite interesting yeah there's got a notion that you should be able to do anything you want anywhere you want i think that's right i think that's a good way of putting it maybe that's what it's about it's a it's it's a kind of you know we can extend this technology and we can do these things with it and so we will you know we're going to let you do these things whether you think that's a great idea or think it's an obvious thing to do or not what about ai well, we came prepared to have AI infusing absolutely everything, and we've been really surprised. There is a lot of talk about it, but it's not the kind of massive metaverse explosion we had when that was a big thing. Um, in fact, we talked about you, and we said he's going to have a massive, great big AI blob this year. But <laughs> what we have seen is, whilst it's still you know out there and people are talking about it, and everyone seems to feel the need to refer to it, we're, we're seeing some quite interesting cases of generative AI being used, and exploring those a bit further in the next couple of days but it seems quite practical and quite and quite non-hypey which which is really quite, quite a surprise yeah. yeah yeah and mostly in the eureka park kind of startup area rather than amongst the big players a bit there but also in cars now i don't haven't explored this fully yet but i don't know if i want my car to be you know using chat gpt to, to tell me stuff i'm not sure that's a great idea so I, I need to be convinced about it but certainly those kind of use cases where we're seeing it just you know become a part of the interface with the world which of course is another big theme it's about you know gesture it's about ambient computing we're seeing a lot of that and we're seeing that being done really well actually in some cases so early days but i think those for me would be the themes so if you had to to give ai a heat score out of 10 for this show what would you put it at i'm giving it a seven yeah i think that's yeah, yeah that's about where i go too good i feel good about that <laughs> thanks laura So, to my great delight, I've just run into two really good friends of the DPP. Uh, Seth Hallen, uh, HPA president, also managing director for Lightiron. And of course, I'll be presenting on CES at HPA. That's in, right. We're looking forward to it. In about a month or so. That's and right. Craig German, I'm C-suite advisor, and I'm on the HPA board as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Craig's been in so many great roles over the years. We're dying to see what the next one's going to be. Uh, now, you guys have been here... Uh, for just about a day or so, and you've been mostly in uh, Eureka Park, which is the, uh, the kind of startup zone. Um, just tell me, as media people, what have you seen so far that's, that's really kind of caught your imagination? Craig and I were talking about it yesterday that, um, you know, we, we both decided, although we did some homework on the exhibitors that were here, there are just so many. So you can only do so much, and really, it's about wandering the halls and uh, just kind of getting a finger on the pulse. And Craig and I were talking about it yesterday that it takes a couple of days or maybe next week right. before you kind of realize what you, the, uh, directionally, you kind of picked up on where people are going, where the industry is going, where's the innovation, where is the money and, and the investment being made. Uh, so it's really about immersing. Uh, uh, ourselves in um, in uh, in this show uh, to really kind of 
get the finger on the pulse. Uh, I think just a few minutes ago we were talking about how you don't see too much Gen AI. What hall are we in right now? This in is the, the North Hall. The North Hall. Yeah, yeah you don't see too much. Yeah, I, I, we would have expected to see a lot, uh, and you don't see too much. There was uh, a considerable amount, we think, at Eureka Park, which was uh, uh, where the innovation is. still yeah. very embryonic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just beginning stages. And when you look at the, the key thing that I've noticed, whether it's the health, um, personal health devices, or whether it's uh, fashion and beauty devices, is you've got this double-edged sword where you're collecting data on people um, so that you can personalize. Obviously, what we need to worry about is the security and, and privacy of that, of that information. And I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I, we were talking earlier about um, the AARP Art um, Age Tech Pavilion, and there you've got a, a whole audience that is challenged with accessing modern technology. So the promise of gathering data on them to understand how they can communicate more naturally, even when they have impairments and things like that, I think that's really promising and we can take something about that into the entertainment industry in terms of discovery, consumption, personalization of content. Um, so that's something that I've, I've been taking away. Yeah, that is really interesting, isn't it? Although there's, there's not as much sort of direct personalization going on here as I expected. I mean, like, you don't really see it much on the big consumer facing stands at the moment. Uh, but that's probably because it's, A, it's still quite embryonic, and B, the, the regulatory and legal issues, privacy issues are still quite considerable. But I will say, we were having a conversation last night um, over dinner about what we've, we've all been noticing for the past, let's say a year or so, where we were having conversations and all of a sudden, uh, what was the thing that you guys did the test with? Uh, wheelbarrows. Wheelbarrows. They all talked about <laughs> wheelbarrows. They couldn't get it to show up on ad, their ad feed, but other times, almost all the time, when I talk about something or my friends talk about something and we have our phones out, I will look and literally within a second, I will see advertisements in my Facebook feed. I right. will get an email. Right. I mean, all that. So it, we know it's happening, regardless of what they say. Like. I, I remember when they were trying to say that, uh, oh no, it's because of proximity with other people who, are, who have that information in their system. No, they are listening, they're collecting information, so we're giving it up already. Right. How do we protect ourselves? Right, how do we give it up yeah. in the way we want it? Right. I guess something back for it that we actually want. Exactly. And, that, and those are some of the things I think that stoke fear in, in some of these advanced technologies. But I'll have to say that walking the floor yesterday and watching the innovations, there was a real kind of um, uh, theme of, of sustainability, of, of things that were productive for humanity, lots of environmental things, lots of things for uh, folks that might be challenged in, in, in some physical ways. And uh, I just think that that's kind of important to point out. There are uh, innovators and, and um, hopefully uh, investors uh, that are, are putting their money uh, and their time and efforts towards things that are actually doing good uh, for humanity. I, I was struck by that yesterday. Actually. You're right, yeah. you're right. You come yeah. away from CES not feeling like you just looked at a world of consumerism anymore. Do you That's actually true. feel like you've seen some good technology? Yeah, even in this room. Yeah. 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 Thank you both. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Right, Absolutely, man. We'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs> For much of day two of CES, I've been in the hall that features all the automotive tech. When you're able to show a flying car, that's, I guess, the equivalent of a mic drop moment for CES. 
you know, it's not actually flying right now, it's still a concept, but they're able to show video of an early version of this actually happening, so it's not so far off reality. And it kind of sums up the, the high level of energy and excitement that you find in this hall. Now, it's really interesting, this, that automotive has become like the, the kind of central hub for innovation. And in many ways, that's inevitable because it offers so many opportunities around all the exciting areas now, like uh, you know, data analytics and automation and displays uh, and uh, computer vision. You know, pretty much everything applies in this space. For the most part, actually, it's not really about consumer vehicles. It's much more about uh, industrial automotive, you know, tractors and diggers, um, great big excavating vehicles, uh, but also lots of public utility vehicles. But there is a certain amount of consumer here, and I guess the the one that stole the show uh, was Mercedes, as it usually does at, at CES. They've been um, showing off their new operating system, that's MBOS, Mercedes-Benz operating system, and what's striking about it is just how much of the emphasis is on entertainment, on music and video integration, personalization uh, of uh, entertainment preferences within the car, but also generative AI. Yeah, there's two examples of it here. I saw an implementation uh, between BMW and Amazon that frankly felt very scripted and not terribly convincing yet. Um, I think the uh, Mercedes-Benz one was probably also kind of pre-rigged, but it sounded a lot more persuasive. And it's really you know, creating the idea that within a car, a consumer can um, kind of ask the questions that they might normally ask of either a user manual or indeed of the kind of things they want to do on the dashboard. And a computer can now do this all for them automatically. So it's taken me almost two days, but finally, finally, at CES 2024, I found some generative AI, sort of. Okay, as promised, we did make it to the following morning without a 3am Mark Harrison soliloquy. Well, it's the morning of day three of CES 2024. Uh, I've just come off a very cold and windy Las Vegas strip into the Venetian Hotel on my way to the Venetian Expo, which is the second uh, big uh, convention center that um, is used by CES. I'm sure Mark is now going to tell us he was full of energy, enthusiasm, and he's raring to go. I eat healthily, I get to bed early, and yet still, by about this time, you're just starting to feel really tired. I think it's all that mile upon mile of shuffling around these booths. Ah, well, at least Mark could get a good night's sleep, I suppose, and wasn't lying awake thinking about consumer technology. But the thing that was keeping me awake last night was the classic one about what are the problems that all this tech is trying to solve. 
In, in many ways, it's a great question to be asking going into the Venetian Expo because um, this is the place where uh, you have all the companies that are focused on uh, health and lifestyle and fitness, but also it's where you find Eureka Park, which has something like a thousand or so startups um, with tech in every possible space. And the sense I have about where tech is right now is that if you have a specific problem, a niche problem, particularly if it's around health, if it's an accessibility challenge, if it's a fitness ambition, you're going to find some tech that's going to be of use to you. But when it comes to the universals, you know, when it comes to to the kinds of uh, really big needs that that drive major change in technology trends, it's quite hard to identify what it is that all these companies think they might better solve. Really, when it comes down to it, if you ask most consumers what it is they want solving, it's, uh, it's about how to make their world of data and apps and content much easier to navigate and manage, both from a kind of usage uh, and a cost point of view. And that's the space in which year upon year, you just see remarkably little progress at this show. Let's see what we find today. Mark went searching for inspiration at Eureka Park, and there he bumped into Vubiquity COO Justin Bodine to hear his reflections from CES 2024. Well, if I said this morning that uh, I was feeling pretty tired, then you can imagine that after several hours in this hubbub of Eureka Park, the CES uh, startup zone, I've I've achieved whole new levels of, of weariness. <laughs> but actually having said that, in many ways, it's been pretty exciting and, and inspiring. I'm just seeing the sheer amount of tech ingenuity from all over the world. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of companies coming up with sometimes hilarious, but often brilliant solutions. Sometimes to problems that are real, sometimes the ones that are imagined uh, and they're mostly in areas like like health tech mobility lots around environmental sustainability education uh, quite a bit of pet tech a lot of robotics 3d mapping quite a bit around food and agriculture but the thing that's conspicuously missing is almost nothing really around around content or media and entertainment and it's, it's tempting to think of that as being a bad thing, but maybe in some respects it's a good thing. Uh, you know, as consumers start to have more and more that addresses very specific and niche and sort of personal needs, it may be precisely that, that broad communal experience of professional mass media that actually is what is increasingly valued in the world. This may be a reminder to really hang on to what our business is really all about.
So I'm really pleased at the end of day three, I've caught up with Justin Bodine from Bubiquity. Hi, Justin. So you've actually been in the show just for the last day or so. Yep, yep. Yeah, I got, got, got here yesterday and spent the whole day on the floor today observing the trends and seeing what people are saying. So you've been here before, haven't you, yep. over the years? Yes, absolutely. Um, so what do you think about kind of the amount of stuff in this show that actually is directly around our world of media and entertainment because it strikes me as it's always surprising how little there is really yeah i i couldn't agree more with that i mean obviously when you go to the show you know that the sort of the thing that we all had to sort of make sure we saw was the translucent tv and so you know we went there and we looked at it and we looked at it looked through it and that that was great but the the reality is other than those consumer appliances there wasn't a lot of media and that kind of struck me. I couldn't help but notice when I was walking by the historical sign of CES over the years. Yeah. 1967, it started in New York, then moved to Vegas and has been here for you know, 20 plus years now. That, that it was more tightly linked when there were more consumer electronic devices being sold to consumers for media. DVD, right. Blu-ray, Ultra, Ultra DVD, all, all of that sort of brought our sort of media world together with the actual electronic device. And I think the absence of that physical all device, physical stuff. yeah, has kind of left us without as, as tight of a sink. And so, yeah, I can't help but walk around and want to see a little more talk about the content itself. Yeah, yeah, because now it's just going to be what we are in an interface on a smart display that's kind of as far as it goes it's right and, and usually i think we're seeing scenes of forests and water versus we're seeing scenes of sort of famous actors and actresses yeah 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 that's true um anything else though about the show that's that's really surprised you yeah i mean i think the other not to not to make this conversation about absence but the other big <laughs> absence at the show has been generative AI. I thought for sure I'd see a 60 by 60 foot tall screen with someone talking to ChatGPT and it talking back and then using that to translate languages and, and sort of, and, or hearing that. And, and I didn't see a lot of that. And so I'll be curious to see if other people found it. I found it in one room. I went in an Amazon suite and there was an adorable little doll called Moxie. Yeah. And that person was talking to that. And I think yeah. you stumbled upon that too. And, and that was really enjoyable, but I didn't see as much of that as I was hoping for. It's a kind of mystery, isn't it? I mean, that, that I think Moxie was, I'm pretty sure because I've been through the whole show now, was the only implementation of like genuine, non-scripted, proper, generative AI conversation that I've seen in the entire show. You know, I'm, I'm hard pressed now that you're giving it to try to think of another example. And, and, and I don't think I can. I think I saw more augmented reality, more sort of higher definition images, uh, and, and more, you know, so self-driving cars than I did of really sort of just natural language processing AI, which I really thought we'd see, right? You, right. you thought you'd see these robots talking to us this year. Right. And I guess those robots just aren't ready to talk. <laughs> Any idea why? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just hard to put, put language in a booth. I, I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Or maybe we all just need a little more time to take this truly transformational technology and let it sort of work its way into our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, that, um, maybe that could be right. That actually, in fact, the application of it in a meaningful way is a much bigger deal than we're imagining. And uh, actually, the professionalization of it is going to be what's really interesting. And even with a year's... Um, kind of notice 
which is what people have had, yeah. that's not long enough yet to develop products that are convincing. I, th I think that might be right. I think, I think that might be right. And perhaps this is a place where NAB actually might be more exciting than CES. I mean, we'll see, right? But perhaps in media where the power of natural language processing, which is what a big part of storytelling, right? And I think to me, NAB is storytelling. Perhaps we'll see that come to life more. Um, maybe, at least at ubiquity, we'll try to tell that story a little bit better. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, listen, still a really good show. But I think I, I was surprised that the electronic device itself still kind of rules the show yeah. when the reality is the transformational technology that's really going on right now is away from, from our eyes. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Great to see you. My pleasure. Surely going to visit the vast Google stand, Mark would finally get his AI fix. And then it was off to write up his CES tales. It's the final day of CES. Sun shining, it's still almost freezing in temperature. Uh, the crowds have largely gone, but the one place there's still a queue is uh, outside the Google stand, which is built in the plaza area opposite the convention center uh, in Las Vegas. Um, so let's see, are we going to find some generative AI? actually within the Google stand. Well, hats off to Google. They certainly did not disappoint. Pretty much their entire booth was devoted to generative AI. From the simple and quite banal, like being able to generate surreal wallpapers on your smartphone, to the much more kind of functional and useful uh, application through the Google Workspace suite uh, to suggest drafting of emails and structuring of meetings and so forth. Um, and then they were also demonstrating uh, BARD and how to use it in search and to compose and so forth. What's quite striking about all this is that you can, just, you can see this chasm already exists between what AI can do in the hands of the global technology giants and then where it's at for all the general players. And I suspect that the way a lot of this functionality will come into sort of broader technology is just going to be via the partnerships that players like Google and Microsoft and Amazon uh, and maybe Meta too uh, have with um, the other players. So that's part one of my CES experience complete. Uh, I'm now getting back on the, uh, the monorail to head back to my hotel for part two, which is the writing of the report. So I'm now gonna uh, disappear into my hotel room for two and a half days and uh, do very little else other than just write and write. And let's see what in the end I decide are going to be the big themes from this show. It's 4.30 on Monday morning. I've left my hotel room for the first time since Friday. And now I'm at Las Vegas airport. 
To begin my journey home, uh, the report is written. I sent off the draft to our designer. By the time I get home tomorrow, uh, there'll be a draft for me to look at and we'll hope to get it published later this week. It's always a really interesting process, spending those couple of days locked away, trying to make sense of what I've seen at CES. Um, I didn't expect to end up comparing the generative AI story to the history of the tractor. I didn't expect to end up recommending to people in the media industry not to innovate uh, around form factor this year. And I didn't expect to end up talking so much about the launch in February of the Apple Vision Pro headset and why that's going to be so significant in relation to this year's CES. So although it's kind of crazy coming out here for this, uh, it never fails to deliver as a sort of special moment to spend time reflecting upon technology and particularly consumer technology and what it all means for our industry. So although, as always, I'm uh, left pretty washed out at the beginning of the year, um, nonetheless, I can be sure I'll be back again this time next year. Thanks then to Laura, Seth, Craig and Justin for finding the time to speak to Mark along the way. Thank you too for listening and make sure you are subscribed to hear the latest hobnobbing, reflections, insight and hype vetting from movers and shakers in the media, tech and entertainment world.